All right, guys, let's head back to 1 Thessalonians. And um, let's talk about excelling still more. This is our theme for the year. Pastor Terry has preached on a couple of passages already this year to give us direction and aim. And uh, my one of my goals in doing this book is to give us direction. How do we do that? Um, I don't know that we would ever get to the place where we say there's nothing we can do to better care for each other. There's always uh, a growth and an improvement there. And that's not to be discouraged. We don't want to say we're, we're not doing enough, but you know, we want to be more like Christ. And, and this side of heaven, there will always be ways we can grow to be more like Christ. So this book has been uh, wonderfully helpful in that. You'll remember Paul uh, went through the area of the Thessalonians in one of his missionary journeys. Uh, he established the church. Uh, due to persecution, he eventually left and went elsewhere. And then this letter, the occasion of this letter, is Paul is writing because... Um, they were wondering, how are they doing? You know, if, if you get run out of the city due to persecution, you leave a small band of believers that are brand new. You're wondering, how are these folks doing? And, of course, this was the day before social media, text messaging, any sort of modern telecommunications. So the only way you could really know is either letters, like like handwritten letters, not not. Some of you are thinking, is that like a text message? No, it's actually you wrote it and you didn't go down to the local post office and put a stamp on it that that letter would have to travel usually with other travelers who were physically going to or from a location. So that was one way you could do it. The better way to do it would be to go yourself. And we're going to see here that Paul really longed to go to see the Thessalonians to check on their well-being. Well, while Paul's away in Athens, he can't stand it any longer, so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how the folks are doing. Timothy brings back a good report that they're growing, they're maturing, they're being effective in gospel ministry, they're standing firm in persecution. And uh, so Paul writes 1 Thessalonians to express his gratitude, his relief, his thankfulness at Timothy's report that the Thessalonians are doing well. But as we've seen, he's also writing, uh, it's like, you're doing great, you're doing great, you're doing great, but what? Excel still more. Keep on, keep going, uh, keep uh, caring for each other well and learning how to do that better. So uh, we left off in the middle of chapter 2 last time, so let me, um, let me kind of pick it up where we left off. And uh, I'll, I'll read uh, starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll get into chapter 3, Lord willing. So this is chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you've heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they are always filling up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope? or joy, or crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you 
are our glory and joy. Um, how many of you had a hero when you were growing up and are willing to admit it? Nobody had a hero. Okay, Josh, thanks, thanks, brother. I'm with you. Okay. Any, any hero, uh, sports figure, Marvel comic superhero? Really? Do you guys have that kind of childhood? I'm sorry. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Uh, when I was growing up, um, I had rules. Mom, mom had rules for me because I was always taking things apart in the house. Things like, you know, don't don't take the VCR apart in the middle of the living room. You know, do that elsewhere where you're not going to get grease all over the place and put things back together. And I had weird rules like that. And, and so growing up, um, these friends said, you know, there's this show called MacGyver. You would love it. How many know MacGyver? Okay, all right. So that's better. Makes me feel better. Now, now, if if you're under 30, if you're under 30 years old, it's not the new MacGyver, like the Amazon series. That's okay. Not that one. It's not. It's not Amazon. It's some, some CBS or something like that. The, the old MacGyver, where the acting is horrible. It's very 80s. Um, you know, the mullet, the the legendary mullet of uh, the 80s. There, right? You know, he was. Uh, uh, you know, a hockey player and hockey players wear mullets. That's what they do. So MacGyver, right? I mean, he, he can make a nuclear bomb with a toothpick and a, you know, gum wrapper, right? And, and a double A battery. And, um, right? And, and, and I, so I, I didn't see, it was like the, like the second to last season. There's like nine or ten seasons. And I start watching the show. I'm like, my goodness. This is like my kindred spirit brother here that I just separated at birth. This is great. And, um, cause I love it. I love, I love, Fixing things, I love things work and all that, and um, and yeah, it was great because it gives you say, yeah, I want to when I grow up, I want to be like MacGyver. I want to be able to play hockey and make nuclear bombs from toothpicks and whatever, right? To to do that, and or you know, if I'm ever in a jam, you know, the bad guys have me up there. I can I can just take a couple ingredients from the kitchen and blow the door off and and make my escape. So anyway, heroes are important, right? Heroes are important, and, and for all of most of you that didn't have heroes, I'll pray for you because we need a hero. Um, good news, though. I think that part of why Paul is uh, sharing this material um, with his readers, and, and I think it, it may be part of just the, the providential plan of God to put First Thessalonians in our Bible, is it gives us a picture of what we all want to be like when we grow up spiritually. A spiritual hero, if you will. And so what I want to talk to you about is, uh, in this section, is sort of three marks of the exemplary, exemplary believer. Uh, if you're saying, okay, so if we're going to excel still more, tell me what that looks like. Give, give me the portrait. Give me the hero of what we're going to try to strive to be like. We looked at the first one last time. And that is that, that someone who's exemplary, a spiritual hero, is a person who receives the word as the word of God. And we talked about that, right? You remember, this is, now, this is interesting because when Paul's talking about this, there is no New Testament, right? It doesn't exist yet. It's in the process of being written. We're looking at one of the books here. First Thessalonians was one of the very first books in the New Testament that was written. So, so not only that, there's no New Testament. First, that might have been the first book written. Uh, maybe James, maybe one of the Gospels, but certainly one of the earlier books. And um, so Paul says, you know why I'm so encouraged? 
because when you received our letter, our divinely inspired letter of encouragement, you received it not as, oh, hey, we got a letter from Paul. You received it as the word of God. You say, well, how do we know it's the word of God and not just a letter for Paul? Well, look at what it says. He says, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which does what? What's the word of God do? It transforms you, doesn't it? It changes you. That's one of the ways we know that the Bible is the word of God and not just, you know, old literature from 40 dead guys. Uh, we know the Bible is the Word of God because it does stuff in your soul. It, it transforms us. It changes us. And, and Paul says, that's why I'm so excited that when we wrote to you, you received the Word, uh, not as our Word, right? I mean, it was, but, but for what it really is, right? It really is the vehicle in which God communicates His divinely inspired Word, which does its work in you, who believe. And we talked about this last time, right? We live, we, we, we are spoiled brats, spiritually speaking today, when it comes to Bibles, aren't we? We have more Bibles. We have more, uh, ways that we access those Bibles. Um, and you've probably seen this with other issues of life, right? When, when we have an abundance of prosperity, whether it's economic, financial, health, we tend to take those things for granted, don't we? And so the challenge, I think, as we think of a spiritual hero, uh, what do we want to be like when we grow up? We're excelling still more. One of the pictures is, I don't ever want to get casual with the Word of God. Anytime it's read, anytime I come across it, anytime I hear it preached, whether it's Pastor Terry or your favorite podcast preacher or, you know, your six-year-old is reading from the Bible during your family worship and he gets stuck on the big words and he mispronounces a couple others, but nonetheless the Word of God. And and there ought to be a, a spiritual seriousness that whenever we hear or read the Word, we are locked in. We, we are receptive to that. And um, let's not let its familiarity and the abundance of which we have availability today, let's not let those two things take away from the response we ought to have anytime the Word of God is there. Okay, we, we receive it not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God. And as we believe, as it says there, it does things in us. It, it, it's... We say this in theology, that the Bible is self-authenticating. It's self-authenticating. It it proves itself as the Word of God. You don't need outside evidence that the Bible is God's Word. Now, there is outside evidence, right? We can talk about manuscript evidence and archaeological evidence and, you know, what the church fathers thought. There there is that. But the Bible is self-authenticating. It demonstrates in its very nature that it's God's Word. And, uh, And every true believer resoundingly says amen to that because they know they know that experience okay so that's mark number one of an exemplary believer an exemplary christian a spiritual hero we might think is they they receive the word as god's word and and you know my footnote let's not be casual let's not be too familiar let's always um heed it for that for what it is 
We'll get a second mark. This moves on from where we left off last time. Uh, a second mark of an exemplary faith, an exemplary believer. Exemplary believers suffer well for the sake of the gospel. They suffer well for the sake of the gospel. Have you noticed this theme already in the first couple chapters? Why is Paul so encouraged by the Thessalonians? According to chapters 1 and as far as we've gotten in chapter 2 so far. What's the big thing? Yeah, they've been hit left and right. They've been... Appreciate that. Okay, is that better? All right. It's kind of fun to go George Whitfield, but anyway. Yeah, so, so I mean, they're, they're afflicting them. They are persecuting them. They're keeping them from that. And you just imagine what that's like. I mean, are, are, they, are, are they stealing their stuff? Are they, um, you know, keeping them from work? Um, are they just making life miserable? Well, what happened to Paul? Because Paul says they're doing the same things to you as they did to me. What happened to Paul? Yeah, he was imprisoned in Philippi, been beaten, stoned, driven out of the city. You imagine that? You're just you're just trying to be faithful in Granbury, Texas, and there are people that want to put you in prison, drive you out of Granbury, keep you from ministering to other people, making your life miserable, maybe even getting violent and, and threatening your life. That's what's going on here. And Paul says, um, you know why I'm so encouraged? Because you're enduring. Look what he says here in verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. Now, where's Judea? I failed geography, so where's Judea? Yeah, southern Israel. Okay, so that would include like Jerusalem and Bethlehem, basically everything down to Egypt. Okay, that's Judea. That's the the northern part, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was from, uh, Nazareth and whatnot. That would be... Um, sort of the northern part, and then the southern part is uh, Judea. Okay, so what's going on in Judea? The gospel first went to Jerusalem, didn't it? Jesus sends his disciples out. The, gospel, the, the uh, disciples begin to preach the gospel. People begin to trust Christ right there in Jerusalem. And immediately what happens? What do the Jews do to these new Jewish converts to Christianity? Yeah, Hans, what do they do? They stoned Stephen. That was the first one, right? The first martyr. Uh, if you read the book of James, James, again, probably written a little bit before First Thessalonians or similar time, uh, James says, you know what? You know, you're being persecuted by your own people. But, but stay the course. Hang in there. So what do you want to be like when you grow up spiritually? We want to be the type of people that endure suffering well. And I want you to notice, and I'm not trying to step on toes, I'm just, I'm I'm looking in the mirror here. Um, The things that tend to frustrate me the most are cultural things, political things. Um, and, and, And we ought to be, right? We ought to grieve a country that turns more and more away from God. We ought to grieve a society that calls evil good and good evil. I mean, we, we echo the prophets when we feel like that. But that's, that's not really persecution. Um, what, what we need to be focused on is ministering the gospel to people that need it. And 
that's the point here with what Paul or what Paul is saying here. He says, you've become imitators of the churches of God in Judea, meaning you guys are being just as faithful in sharing the gospel in the midst of persecution as all those churches in the surrounding area of Jerusalem have been as persecution has first started there. He's saying you're you're being an example. You're doing what you ought to do. And then he gives he gives some specifics here. Look at this. He says, um, For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And so that's what's going on, right? They, they killed the Messiah. They're driving people out of the city. And you'll remember James is writing uh, the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Why, does, why is James having to write to 12 the, the, the twelve tribes that have been dispersed abroad? Answer, because they got driven out of Jerusalem. They couldn't stay there anymore. And uh, so Paul says, good job, Thessalonians. You're, you're enduring. You're being an imitator of, of suffering well. Look at this. They are not pleasing to God, the persecutors, but hostile to all men. And one of you mentioned this because they're hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. You know, that's, a, that's a good definition of persecution. Not not. Not comprehensive, but but a part we don't think about. Persecution is when people do things to inhibit your faithfulness to share the gospel with people who need it. That's persecution. Persecution is when people do things to make it difficult for you and I to share the gospel with people who need it. And that's what we should be concerned about the most, right? You know, what's going on politically, what's going on culturally, those are important. But it's so easy to make that the issue, isn't it? Get all caught up in this, all caught up in that. We have an election coming up here in November, you know, and just go all right. And, and, and that's important, and we ought to be faithful. But but let's not be distracted from the main thing, which is gospel faithfulness. And uh, and it's amazing how much freedom we still have to do that. Uh, so let's let's be faithful. Let's keep doing that. Um, he says there, with the result that they are always filling up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. What does Paul mean when he says these persecutors are filling up the measure of their sins and wrath has come upon them to the utmost? What do you think he means? Yeah, they're turning their back on the one thing that can save them. They're giving full vent uh, to their sin, as, as Paul talks about in Romans, the more people press into sin, the more God gives them over. And uh, can you imagine the Jewish nation, the Jewish leadership, the, the folks that run the temple and, and, and do uh, Shabbat services and, and know the, uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, and they're the ones that are driving the church out of these cities. That's, that's, that's tragic. The, the, the Jews, right? They, they were God's people to, to take the good news to the nations. And, and here, they're the problem. They're the persecutors. And of course, not exclusive. I mean, the Gentiles persecuted also. Um, but yeah, they're, they're filling up the measure of their sins. They're continuing in uh, their sins such that it gets to... Uh, an extreme tipping point. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. That's a hard phrase because we're not sure exactly what that refers to. Um, One idea is that Paul is saying, we know 
the wrath of God is being stored up against the Jews because they're persecuting Christians. And we know at some point that judgment will begin to be poured out. And uh, so this is happening in like the 40s or 50s A.D. What happens about 20 years later? The temple's destroyed. How'd that happen? The Romans. Do, Do you think the Romans were an agent of God's judgment in partial fulfillment of what Paul is talking about here? That God's wrath is coming. And, and it did. Uh, where's Israel today? They've only been a nation since 1947. What are they today? Scattered and largely lost, aren't they? Remember Pastor Terry's Roman series. He talked about that in nine, ten, chapter 9, 10, and 11, right? They're, that, that God is, is focusing on the gospel of the Gentiles and the church, and, and one day he'll turn his attention again to the nation of Israel. But right now they live largely in blindness and disbelief. So he says they, they always do that. Okay. Um, so what's the point? The point is a spiritual hero, the, the person we want to grow up to be is somebody who is faithful to share the gospel even as it gets harder and harder to do so. And, and you know, we, that needs to be our focus. It, it really does. And again, political things are important, cultural things are important, and, and we have a, a stewardship in that. But let's stay focused on our gospel mission. And when that gets challenging, let's follow the example of the early church here by being faithful to do that. Um, that may be we have to be creative, uh, it may mean that uh, that we endure suffering. And I don't like to do that any more than you do. Um, but it, it, it's necessary to be faithful. So when you grow up, what do you want to be like? I want to be a Christian that is faithful to share the gospel regardless of the cost. That's what we ought to want to be. Okay, you got that picture? Okay, picture number one. We always receive the word as the word of God and we respond accordingly. Not too familiar, not too casual, but we respond and it does its work in us. Picture number two, we suffer well for the sake of the gospel. We're willing to do that. Um, and again, you know, if, if you keep up with missionaries, we're a bit of a unique country in that um, all around the world this is happening. Uh, believers are being persecuted as they share the gospel. Um, you guys heard about the uh, recent, uh, sort of the, the, the newfound attacks on Kiev, Ukraine that happened this last week. Uh, don't forget, there are still pastors, churches, believers that are ministering to that community. Uh, you'll remember Pastor Terry and our, our friend Dan Kirk. They've been there. They've taught in seminaries there. They have a network of guys there. Uh, you want to talk about persecution? Um, go, to, go to the former Soviet Union. Go to Russia, go to China, uh, go to those Asian cultures that uh, those Eastern religions are deep-rooted in, in the culture there. Uh, so as we pray for them, we pray for faithfulness uh, as well for us. Okay, let me give you picture number three. Uh, picture number three is this, deep relationships committed to spiritual welfare. Deep relationships committed to spiritual welfare. What is it? What does an exemplary faith look like? What does a, a godly Christian look like? And what is it that Paul is so 
complimentary about to the Thessalonians? Well, I think, guys, and this is going to maybe stay a little bit on the surface, but I really think that what Paul is describing here, he's all he's doing is he's saying, look, here's my heart for you. Here's what I've wanted to do. So here's what we did. And here's how we reacted. We get a picture of the life of the Apostle Paul here. And I think what, what he's doing is he's demonstrating for us the, the nature of godly, deep relationships with other believers. And uh, as I read this and I, th- I thought about preparing for today, this really challenged me. Do we view relationships with one another like this? Are these the sort of friendships that we have with each other? Is this the sort of church that we want to be and are growing to be? So, so just let me read some of these things and you'll see what I mean here, okay? So, so we're calling this deep relationships committed to spiritual welfare. It's a mark of exemplary faith. Verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, meaning I had to leave, but in spirit, right, we're still... Uh, we're still with you in spirit, so to speak. He says, We were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or our joy or our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Quiz time. Classroom exercise. Fill in the blank. Blank makes me exult in joy. Makes me delighted. Makes me so encouraged. Blank is my glory and my joy. Dak Prescott's going to start for the Cowboys today. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I know, I know. Um, The Aggies lost. Uh, You know, my glory and joy just... Um, Have you looked at your investment portfolio lately. Can't be glory and joy, can it? What does he say for Paul goes in that blank? This is my glory and joy. This is, I I exult. What does he say? Seeing you. Does that challenge you? When you're going to your home group, Come to church, driving up here Wednesday night, Awana, it's been a crazy day, and, and I don't think like getting to Awana is ever casual, right? You know, you got traffic and you know, miles of traffic through the city, and just make sure your kids clothed and you got your lesson prepared and is your joy seeing one another? Is it being engaged in the relationships that are here with one another? Um That challenges me. What he's saying is deep relationships with other believers are my glory and joy. 
you know, Paul's back in, in Athens. He's like, I can't wait to get back to Thessalonica. Why? Well, Timothy has gone back and forth. He's written a letter. Paul says, I don't care. I want to go see you. And um, what, what, why do you think he views relationships like that? It's definitely a work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Eternal? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Talk theologically with me, okay? What do we know about the church? Yeah, boy. Yeah. We're made to be relational. We're building each other up? Yeah. Look, did, did you catch the phrase? There's a little phrase there, and, and you almost miss it, right? He's talking about this, right? He says, we've longed to see you. I want to see you in person. Satan inhibited us. Um, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once. Who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? Now listen closely. In the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. We know Jesus is coming back, and we know that it's going to be amazing. Glorious day, as the hymn says, right? Glorious day. Um, what could possibly be better than Jesus coming back? Yeah. Those that are coming with him. Here's what Paul's saying. You know why I, I, do you know why relationships and spiritual health and investing in people and seeing people and, and pouring my life out in gospel ministry is so important? Like Paul had this picture of Jesus coming back and seeing all these friends. Seeing all these people that he had invested in and sacrificed in and got beat up for and, and that picture was so beautiful to him. He wanted every single person that he knew to be there as a part of this great redeemed church that returns with Christ. I mean, I, I can't think of anything more beautiful uh, than seeing my kids be a part of that return. Um, Seeing family be a part of that return. Seeing all of you be a part of that return. Seeing those little cubbies that have the cute little vests on, little blue vests. I mean, they're still learning their numbers and their colors. And But if they know Christ, is there anything better than maximizing that group as they come back? There's, no, there's nothing better to live for than that. And Paul says, that's why I make it. Think of, think of Mike. Mike just flew out to see his buddy who was at the end of life, Mike Dixon. Shared the gospel with him. Why? Because that's all that matters. Don't you want to have that kind of commitment to deep relationships with each other? It's beautiful, isn't it? So look at, look at some of these things here, okay? Longing to see others. Why? He's longing because he wants them to be a part of this entourage, this, this glorious day when Jesus comes in his return and, and his redeemed bride is with him. 
And he wants his friends, his family, his children, these people that he's labored and been beat up for and sacrificed and he wants them to be a part of that. And, and, and you know, when, when you're committed at that level, it is, you can see, this is going to almost sound sacrilegious, you can use football as an analogy for that. People do crazy things for their team. They paint their bodies blue. They invest in uniforms and season tickets and they travel all over the place and they sit in the stands, you know, dressed up as, you know, whoever, right? And, and they, and, and their life, that is their life and they invest and they sacrifice and, and, and again, it's, it's, all those things are wonderful, but all those dynamics of humanity were meant ultimately to be invested in Christ and His people. That we would love like that, we would sacrifice like that, we would invest like that, we, we'd travel the world for that cause. And the end result is we long to see those people in person. We long to be with them and, and minister to them. Notice, secondly, to count relationships with other believers is our greatest joy. I've already made this point, but just so you have it in your notes there. Again, fill the blank in. What's my greatest joy? Answer, being with my family, investing in my family, um, praying with my family, doing gospel ministry with my family, seeing them, building up each other, and, and knowing those relationships is our greatest joy. Third thing, sacrificing for the benefit and encouragement. Look at chapter 3. Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we thought it best to leave behind, uh, to be left behind at Athens alone, and so we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. As you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So what did he do? He sends Timothy. You think Timothy was an encouragement to Paul in Athens? And in, absolutely. And he says, I'm going I'm to take my best guy and I'm going to send him to you. And that was a sacrifice for Paul to do. But he said, investing in your welfare is worth it. Um, willing to invest in the welfare of others. Willing to be... The, um, and notice, notice the uh, the emphasis here on the tempter might have tempted you. That's one of the reasons these deep relationships are so important. We we are sitting ducks when we're Lone Ranger Christians. We are a much more difficult target for the enemy when we're a family. Because you know what, you can see things in my life that I can't see. I can see things in your life that you can't see. There's strength in numbers. Uh, we work together. We, we strengthen each other. When we see somebody veering, like the psalm says, right? Grab the wheel. Grab the wheel. You're veering. Grab the wheel. And you grab the wheel for him. And you, right? Just like when you were teaching your son to drive the car, you got to grab the wheel, you know? 
We do that as the church, don't we? We help each other. We intervene. We, we keep each other from falling into temptation. And Paul says that takes sacrifice, that takes commitment, and you know what? It's worth it. Because he's got that picture in his mind of Christ returning and this whole entourage of, of believers with him. And he says, I'm living to see every cubby, every spark, every member, every family member, every child. I'm living and investing for that day. So sacrificing for the benefit and encouragement of others. Can we just, can we just stop for a minute and, and just ask ourselves a question? How much am I willing to sacrifice to do that? Because if you're like me, this all sounds good. And then when the rubber meets the road, my schedule, other activities, other priorities, right? Just, just like you, life, life gets in the way. And, you know, a lot of those things in life are necessary. We need to do them. And, and being negligent doesn't honor God. But, but the question is, am I wrapping all those other things in my life around this purpose? Or am I wrapping my life around other things and then trying to fit this in wherever it's convenient? And I think Paul challenges us and he says, this is a worthy cause to sacrifice for. And maybe, maybe like I did this last week, it would be helpful for you guys this week. Just, what are the things that I'm unwilling to sacrifice to build these sorts of relationships with people? Are, are there things that are keeping me from investing in people at this level? And, and those are occasions for repentance, I think. Look at this. He says, he rejoices in the well-being of other believers. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news that the cowboys... Want. No, he doesn't say that. Um, brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and all our affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. This is interesting. Here he turns it around. He says, as we're being afflicted, we're being persecuted, we're being beat up, we're being driven out of cities, you know what keeps me going? Hearing about you. Hearing about your endurance. Have you, know, have you guys noticed this? Spiritual success is contagious. Spiritual victories rub off on us. When we hear of other people being faithful, it spurs us on to be faithful. When we're down and we hear somebody who's growing, it nudges us back to be encouraged. And, and that's why, that's why we, again, we talk to each other, we do life together. It's why we, uh, keep our minis- our missionaries, uh, up to date in terms of communication with them and encouragement. It's why we read Christian biographies. I was uh, sitting in the car, sitting in the car with some uh, some young folks. We were on our way to a, a football game this week. Some some of our young theologians, and uh, we were talking about um, our state senator Brian Birdwell. You guys know uh, Senator Birdwell? Do you know his story? He was in 9/11 at the Pentagon in 9/11 when the airplane hit. He was in the restroom. If he hadn't been in the restroom, he would have been totally killed because the airplane impacted his office and killed all his staff. 
Uh, he was burned over 60% of his body, and he spent the next several months go- undergoing the most um, unspeakably painful treatment. Uh, I'm told that, that burn victims, burning is about one of the worst things you can go through. But the treatments to fix your skin once it's burned like that are incredibly painful. And uh, Senator Birdwell, he and his wife, uh, dear believers, love Christ. And uh, I read his biography 20 years ago, probably. Um, and uh, shortly after 9-11 happened, and um, to hear how his faith and his wife's faith in Christ helped him to endure uh, that whole thing. And to where now, uh, you, you may know, they have a ministry to burn victims. They go all over the place and they go to children's hospitals and, and talk to children that have been burned and whatnot, re- redeeming their affliction for good in the lives of other people. And uh, I, I read that book and I was like, I want to have faith like that. So it's why we read biographies. We, we are encouraged in our struggles when we read of other Christians that are faithful. And so we do that. Paul says, this is my joy. This is my encouragement to hear of your well-being. And again, it begs the question, what motivates me? What encourages me? Um, I hope that you would say that your greatest joy is hearing of the faithfulness uh, people. And especially, you ever had that, someone you invested in years ago, decades ago, and you get that Christmas card, and you see them, and they're walking with the Lord, and you're like, you know what? God gave me the privilege of getting to minister to that person 30 years ago. <laughs> and look at what God's done. There's no greater joy than that, guys. Last thing, and, and we'll just, I'll throw this out and we'll, we'll finish this next time. But look, look what it says here. Persistent in prayer. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which we rejoice before God on your account? As we day and night keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You know, um, Usually we know <laughs> what other people are finding joy in because they talk about it. A serious football fan can't help to do what? Evangelize other people for his cause, right? You gotta be a Buckeye fan, you gotta be a Michigan fan, you gotta be an AM fan, right? They're always recruiting. What does Paul say? My joy is is so I'm so caught up in my joy, I can't help but do what? Talk about it with the Father. Persistent prayer for them that He could see them, thanking God for their faithfulness, rejoicing in their well-being. Um, Our prayer life, or lack thereof, reveals where our joy is, doesn't it? And um, so that's a good reminder that's a good reminder. Not just not just to be praying, but to see that prayer follows our heart. Talking about things follows where our treasure is. And if our treasure is in gospel purposes and investing in people and being faithful in affliction and rejoicing to see the spiritual successes of others, we're not going to have trouble with our prayer life. 
because God's wired us to talk about things that we're excited about and things that bring us joy. So I think that's a challenge for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the example of the Apostle Paul and these dear first century believers. Lord, we would confess that our joy is often in the wrong place, ultimately. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be a church that's growing in cultivating these sort of deep relationships where we are 100% invested. We have jumped in the deep end of the pool of gospel relationships, and we don't look back. We want to live and minister to each other in a way that 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 great party that accompanies Christ in His second coming um, will be full of faces that we know well. And Lord, as we think about this, we would pray for family members, for Awana Cubbies, for parents in the last stages of life, for co-workers that we love dearly, for friends in our community, um, that our life would truly be characterized by building the sort of relationships with those people um, for the purpose of gospel ministry. And as we invest here in relationships of one another, that those relationships would strengthen our influence for the gospel in our community and around the world. Lord, we, we do not want to waste our lives. And it's so easy to do so by be focused on the wrong things. So keep us, keep us where we need to be. Keep our eyes focused. Make us faithful. And would you help us to grow in our relationships with one another uh, to have the sort of influence that we are reading here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.